Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast with Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Always great to have you with us and always great to be bearing down on the start of the college basketball season as we record this about a week and a half away. Chris, what's going on, man? Well, I'm, I'm getting fired up about the season. Uh, in fact, they're actually letting certain schools have exhibition games for pay and Gonzaga, which is number two in the AP poll and Tennessee, which is number 11, are going to square off uh, on Friday. It's pay-per-view, but I'm, I'm going to plunk down. And uh, two of our buddies, friends of the show, Fran Fraschilla and Dane Bradshaw, are on the, the crew along with Tom Hudson, who's your counterpart at Gonzaga. He's the voice of Gonzaga men's basketball. So I think it'll be a cool event. Uh, it's available on pay-per-view if anybody wants to check it out. I think it's PPV com maybe uh but uh, uh yeah that's that's going to be a huge huge game and and that's several days before the season actually even starts so i'm good with that yeah, a lot of teams are playing something like that or just playing some scrimmages against outside opponents. I know uh, Vanderbilt's been uh, doing a couple of those. They had one last weekend and another one coming up this week. So those are really valuable for these teams to play against somebody else. It feels like the practice yeah. time from the start of practice until the season starts, it feels like it's a long time. I, I don't know if that, that's yeah. become more of a thing the last few years, but uh, I, I think the guys are kind of tired of scrimmaging against one another and ready to see somebody different and uh, get a little taste of where you are by playing playing those things. Uh, Chris, I took a little trip to SEC Media Day last week down in Birmingham. I went with the uh, the Vanderbilt contingent, uh, including Coach Jerry Stackhouse, players Jordan Wright and Quentin Melora Brown. I saw a little bit of everybody. Uh, the, about the first person I ran into was a guy we had on our last edition of our podcast, Seth Greenberg. <laughs> I told him we appreciated it, and he talked about uh, what all you had done for the game of basketball, and I said, man, you're preaching to the choir. That, that's my guy, Chris. Oh, that's kind of him to say. Yep. Uh, I saw uh, some other friends of the show. I saw uh, Kermit Davis. I saw Rick Barnes and Eric Musselman. I saw Nate Oates and Chris Jans, who's uh, in his first year at Mississippi State, a few of the other uh, coaches and players. Everybody's sort of making the rounds. They go to different states record stuff and it's interesting some of the things that you'll see way later on in the season at say like the sec tournament or, or whatever these little uh you know hype videos and guys signing uh clear screens that they'll show they were recording yeah. all of that stuff right there in birmingham the other day and uh, i know some of the camera folks yeah. and, and different I ones they were producing for years it. Mm-hmm. i i haven't been since the covid era and i've sort of gotten out of the habit but i that was always one of my favorite times and, you know, just a, a time to renew relationships with coaches and sports information directors and media around the league. It was always one of my favorites. I went to a few of the football, but those got uh-huh. so unwieldy oh, man. as the league got bigger. And uh, last time I was there, my team actually tied for the uh, winning the, the uh, select shot golf tournament. I remember we got this, we didn't get the best prize, but we got a cool prize. It was a big old thick Nike parka and, and some Titleist Pro V1s. <laughs> I lost those in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm almost yeah, afraid I, to play I, with SEC does a good job like with media days for sure. They do, and the, the basketball version is, is a much more scaled-down version of what they have for football. I went to that, too, back yeah. in July, and I, I sort of like the basketball one better in that you got a little more of a chance to just say hello to people and, and – 
spend a couple minutes. Much with, more late. Yeah, you, you see a coach in the hallway and stop and talk to him for a couple minutes. Whereas yeah. you, know, you see a coach at the football media days and they got a whole entourage of oh. people and they're whisking them off to somewhere else. So I, I, I felt like it was right. a little more. And obviously basketball with just the, the nature of the game versus football, it's it's just a little different, especially um, with the, the size of the teams and the amount of attention and all those things. So I had fun down there the other day. It was good to see everybody. I saw my fellow Bowling Green, Kentucky native Damian Fishback of the SEC Network, and I spent a few minutes with him. We were actually talking about the college football playoff and what might happen if you had three potential SEC teams that were right there at the top. So uh, fun to catch up with him, too. Speaking of broadcasting, uh, big news out of sports broadcasting this week. The 2023 Final Four, according to reports, and, and Jim Nance has confirmed this, this will be his last Final Four. It's on CBS, which is his network, has been there forever. It's in Houston, where he also went to college. And in reading some of his comments, is that it sort of felt like a good stopping point, wanted to spend some more time with his family, which he actually lives in Nashville part of the time. Uh, he's called the Final Four in the title game since 1991 when he took over for Brent Musburger and has been on coverage uh, of that weekend since 1986. So, you know, Jim Nance has become synonymous with the Final Four. Obviously, golf is the thing that he does the best, I think, of anybody. Uh, really good on NFL. He's the number one guy on the, the NFL coverage, too, with, with Tony Romo. Um, Ian Eagle is going to move up to calling the final four in the championship game, which I always hoped would happen. Like whenever Jim Nance stepped away, uh, that Ian would, would be the one who moved into that role. He's a great guy. I, I got to know him a couple years ago, man, in large part through my whole triple spillage thing. I mean, that was, that was his, <laughs> you know, his term and, and his, uh, you know, a call of that, but well-deserved. He's a great play-by-play guy, maybe the best in the business. He's just a really nice dude. So uh, happy for him. And uh, Jim Nance has done a great job for a long time. So that, that was really big news this week out of the uh, sports casting world. Yeah. You know, he's, I mean, relatively young when you consider some broadcasters like Dick Vitale work into their eighties at 63. I was surprised to see that he's got young children at home. So uh, he's a better man than I having little ones at that age. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he played college golf at Houston with Freddie couples. So mm-hmm. golf is probably his first love, even though he's become synonymous with the NCAA tournament, but you're right. Ian Eagle does a great job. Uh, he's one announcer that I've never had the pleasure of meeting. And maybe we need to get him on the show. But uh, I think it's it, he'll be a, he'll do a good job, and and uh, I wonder if they'll um, just reshuffle the whole deck uh, yeah. with the whole crew. Uh, I, I kind of hope not, but uh, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, Jim Nance will be missed. I think he he was a quiet professional. He didn't really want to put the focus on himself. He he just called it like he saw it, and and he uh, he knew when an economy of words was was needed and and went to just sort of be silent and i think that was one of his gifts it is one of his gifts yeah it's funny he he moved to nashville gosh probably a year year and a half ago it may be longer a lot than of that. folks are moving there yeah they? yeah and um it's funny people would say uh, yeah i saw jim nance at this high school football game it's like Jim Nance, really? And uh, and then he kind of got the whole story on, on what happened. But And you'll see him here sometimes to call a Titans game or whatever. And I, I've met him before, too. I met him in 2015 
Uh, he and the the A crew were on our game when um, when Belmont played Virginia over in Charlotte in the NCAA tournament in 2015, and it was cool to sit down with those guys with Jim Nance and Grant Hill and Bill Raftery and uh, Tracy Wolfson and just kind of hang out with them and, and see how they did their prep. And you understand and appreciate why the big time people are the big time people because they really put in the yeah. work. Um, I mean, yeah. when we first got you don't there, get there by accident. no, you don't. And we first got there, I, Jim Nance was up in the stands talking with family members of Belmont's players. And, I, and that, that kind of told me all I needed to know right there. It's like, okay, if, he, if he's willing to go up there and do that and get stories from people, and uh, then that, that was pretty impressive. And, you know, I, yeah. I've been around Iron Eagle a little bit too. Uh, whenever he comes in for Titans games, I'll usually text him and say, hey, can you, you know, stop by out in the hallway? It was right down from where I work on, on the game days. And he's, he's always gracious enough to, to pop out and say hello, and we'll talk for a few minutes. And Charles Davis is usually there too. And um, I, I've gone in the booth there too and, and kind of seen his whole setup and how he does his prep and uh, it, it's just neat to be around those guys especially if you do what yeah. I've you know you do broadcasting work for a long time I will tell you if we could ever get Ian Eagle for the, the podcast it would be one of our best shows because he's an awesome radio guest too he, he's really really funny so um, yeah. well, maybe we can work on that and since it, you and him are boys yeah no, uh, I, don't, I, don't know if I don't know if we're boys but uh, maybe, maybe we could get <laughs> one of them I was just going to say my Jim Nance story real quick uh it was in 2008 in Houston, and they released the uh, uh, Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, and Dick Vitale got in. And Jim Nance was was the master of ceremonies for the press conference. And afterwards, I made the mistake of going up to him and asking him what he thought. And, I mean, I'm sure he was okay with, with Dickie V and everything, but he was bombed and mad that Billy Packer, oh, yeah. uh, was, his who, longtime right. compadre on the air, uh, had not been anointed, and I don't think he has yet. Huh. Uh, so I quickly realized that was a sore subject, <laughs> thanked him for his time, and got the heck out of there. There you go. Should mention that Brett Friedlander is going to be our guest this week, uh, Blue Ribbon contributor, ACC reporter. He is Mr. ACC. If you want to know about the Atlantic Coast Conference, there's no better guy than Brett, so we'll have him with us uh, coming up shortly. Speaking of the Final Four, more big news along that front and related to Nashville. Uh, the approval process is underway for a new domed stadium for the Music City. Uh, it would be located next to the current Nissan Stadium there between the river and the interstate. Nissan Stadium would be torn down once they have the uh, new one done. Uh, but once they get it done, it's going to be a dome and going to have that kind of translucent roof that you've seen on, on some of the newer stadiums, like the one in Las Vegas and the one they, they built out in Los Angeles. But having a final four here would be a no brainer when they get that building. I and mean, that that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, the plan no, is no question. Yeah. The plan is for them to have the stadium ready for the 2026 Titans season. And you got to think wow. not too long after that, the big events will start rolling in here. I mean, the, the whole goal was to have a stadium that you could have the Super Bowl. But the final four would, I got to think, be right near the top of that list as well. You know, is it me or are stadiums getting obsolete way quicker well, it, than it, when They we were really are. Up? It's amazing. Uh, I, I just couldn't believe it when I saw that. But yeah, just as the SEC has learned by making uh, Nashville a, a semi permanent home for the. SEC men's basketball tournament. I I think the NCAA will get on that train quickly. Of course, it's been a it's been a host of regionals. The last time I was there, Nevada uh, shocked the world by coming back from twenty two in the second half to beat. I think we were there together, mm -hmm. weren't we? We were uh, to beat Cincinnati. But yeah, Nashville is a great town for sports and for a lot of things. But that Dome Stadium, I unbelievable. But 
it seems like just yesterday that the stadium they're in now yeah. was built. It's, it's, I can't believe it's, it's already crazy. obsolete. Yeah, it's crazy how that stuff happens. And, uh, yeah, they they either consider doing repairs or upgrades to the, the current stadium or building a whole new one. And um, I, I think that the thought is that long-term you can get more out of having a, a stadium that would, would be indoors where you can have lots and lots of different types of events. Um, they yeah. released the renderings for it yesterday. <laughs> and people were saying that it looked like a, a giant top golf, uh, which I, I thought was, <laughs> once I looked at it and they put them side by side, I thought, okay, that that's pretty funny actually. But, uh, yeah, that's, that that's funny. been some of the big news around Nashville, uh, where I live uh, here in recent days, AP all American team is out for the upcoming co- college basketball season. And, uh, Chris, they must've been reading blue ribbon because it's the same five guys, uh, Kentucky's Oscar yeah. Shibway, a unanimous selection along with Gonzaga's Drew Timmy, UNC forward Armando Baycott, Houston guard Marcus Sasser, Indiana's Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, Shibwe is the first national player of the year since uh, Tyler Hansbro back in 09 to return for another season. But those are, are pretty rock-solid guys when you're uh, putting together a first-team All-America squad. But again, it's the same five players that uh, Blue Ribbon features. Yeah, uh, another thing about Shibwe, he's the ninth AP national player of the year Bill Walton and Ralph Sampson did it twice to return for another season. So he's definitely uh, in rarefied air that I think the NIL helped make happen. Uh, and Baycott, you know, he, he set a, uh, he led a tied an NCAA record with 31 double doubles. So those were, those were no brainers. I think the, the guys that aren't on some of the other teams other than blue ribbons and APs or trace Jackson Davis is one that, that has slipped down maybe a couple uh, to, to a second or third team and, and maybe Marcus Sasser too, but it's kind of cool that, yeah, we, we came out first uh, hmm. and uh, it's the same as the AP. So I guess we kind of know what we're doing. Chris, our, our guest is a guy who's uh, been a guest with us before here on our blue ribbon podcast. He is Mr. ACC blue ribbon contributor, Brett Friedlander. What's going on, man? Not much. It's that time of year where you've got baseball, football, basketball, hockey, everything going on at once. So this is a great time of year. It really is. It really is. Man, um, as I've been talking to customers who are eagerly awaiting their blue ribbons, uh, <laughs> a lot of people ask me who we've got number one. And I tell them North Carolina. And I say, if, if you're going to blame anybody for that, it's Brett Freelander's fault. No, uh, but I, I, I do say that uh, – I trust your judgment. I tell everybody that. And we talked about it a lot, you and I, before I did it. And I think we we agreed that if they got Pete Nance in the portal, that that would be, at least for me, that would be the deal maker. So uh, what have you seen and heard out of the Carolina camp? How has he fit in? And uh, do, do you think we can still – Stand by our pick as as the Tar Heels at preseason number one. Yeah, he's fit in great. From an athletic standpoint, he might even be better than Brady Manick, and, and that would make Carolina even better on the court. The, the difference is that Brady Manick was the glue that kept that team together and really brought it together. And and I think the, 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 the stimulus for that March run – so it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in in that regard. And if he doesn't necessarily take on that role, who does? Because yeah. there's a question about Carolina. Even though they've got four starters and Nance back, 
from a team that played for the national championship last year. The question is, were they really that good or did they just catch lightning in a bottle Baylor with some injuries, you know, and, and St. Peter's in a, in a, in an elite game, eight game. So there are a lot of questions, but knowing what we know and in this day and age of one and dones and, uh, and transfer portals, the fact that they've got four starters back and such a, you know, a, a great replacement for, for Brady Manic, you have to pick them number one. And don't they have more depth, too? They had a really solid recruiting class, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And not only that, but that March run, Puff Johnson actually became a viable player. Uh, You know, you know. They've they've got some guys now who who have some experience in addition to the to the to the newcomers and so yes this should be a deeper deeper Carolina team and you know what Hubert Davis is now a little bit more experienced as well because you saw you know last year it was kind of on the job training and and this year I think he's learned some things from last year that might help them get off to a better start. Last season, it was Hubert Davis taking over for Roy Williams. This year's John Shire with the difficult job of replacing Coach K. He's done really well in recruiting, but what do you feel like his biggest obstacles are in year one as head coach? Well, his biggest obstacle is that first loss that he's going to have to hear. Oh, he's not K. You know, here we go. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's that. I, I think he's going to be fine. Number one, he's got a lot of talent to you know to to make him look good. Number two, uh, you know, I think last year was a very very important year, and and the transition at Duke is a lot different than the one at Carolina because first of all, he's been sitting second chair with Kay for what, four or five years now. But I think last year, the transition, I think Kay gave John a lot more um, responsibility. I think he gave him a lot more things to do during games. And I think that that's going to help. Um, but we don't know. We don't know. It's going to see, you know, we're going to have to wait and see what happens in that last, uh, that first time where he gets, you know, he's down by one. He calls the timeout. W- what does he do? Sure. Um, so we, we shall see, but I think he's going to be fine. He's been groomed for this, uh, as a player, he was a, you know, a cerebral kind of guy. So I, I, I don't think there's going to be a, a, much of a drop off. I mean, it's still Duke. I mean, and they still have great talent. And a lot of it's going to have to do with how quickly all those freshmen and, 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 and transfers mesh together. But by March, they'll be fine. Another first-year coach at a brand-name program is Kenny Payne at Louisville. To me, it's just insane to look at a preseason poll in the ACC and see Louisville listed 14th. Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up and lived there during the days of the Doctors of Dunk. <laughs> and to see Louisville down at the bottom in, in a preseason ranking is really something. But what kind of season could we expect for that team as, as he tries to start building things there and get that program rebuilt? I'm not sure if they're going to finish last, but I, I think this is a rebuilding situation. Look, there, there's a big difference right now between Louisville, Duke, and Carolina. Uh, Louisville's entire athletic department is a dumpster fire. Um, Scott Satterfield is kind of making it happen uh, in football. They've won a couple in a row, and and maybe that situation is stabilizing a little bit. Mm-hmm. But basketball, they're almost starting over from scratch. Um, it's really interesting the trend these days now, too. You know, back in the day, um, brand name programs like this brought in brand name coaches. And now you see Carolina, you see Duke and also Louisville going out and getting guys who played there Mm -hmm. who have no head coaching experience. And, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this one works out because this is not a tailor-made situation. This is one where Kenny's going to have to do it on his own and he's going to have to recruit. He's going to have to reestablish the, you know, that, that culture 
Um, I think he's going to be okay. I really was impressed with him talking at eight to, to him at ACC media day uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I think he's got a very big job ahead of him. And the one good thing that he's got going for him is the transfer portal, because back in the day you had to do it through two, three recruiting classes. Well, now you can, you can make an immediate impact with a couple of really good freshmen and then you fill in the blanks with guys who, you know, who've done this before. So I, I think he's got the, you know, the ability to, to make them respectable right away as a contender and NCAA tournament team. I, I, I don't think that's happening this year. Brent, the polar opposite of what you just talked about, i.e. Uh, a program with a head coach who has no prior experience are Virginia, Miami, Florida state, all with excellent veteran guys. Of that trio, uh, what team do you think might emerge uh, from that kind of crowded pack behind North Carolina and Duke? I think there's no question it's Virginia. Uh, first of all, Tony Bennett is one of the best in the business right now. He's got a, what, about a 12th-year uh, senior point guard in Kihei Clark, yeah. who yeah. even Jim Beheim was talking about how, how he was by far the most important player in, in the ACC this year because of his experience. You give Tony Bennett a team with, with veterans – and you're going to have a winning team. You're going to have a contending team that, that can really, you know, become a special team because they they he doesn't have to teach that defense. He doesn't have to you know to to instill that system. Uh, he doesn't have to coach it. Basically, he you know he's already done that. And and I, I think you've seen the last couple of years. He's had younger teams, and they just haven't picked up on that that defense. And and they've struggled a little bit. Well, now he's got veterans, and he's got really good veterans. And so I think I think Virginia is is definitely the team. And I would never ever um, count Leonard Hamilton out. Um, he's got you know Michael uh, Matthew Cleveland is back. Um, you know, he, he's got a healthy team this year. Um, and m my guess is he'll have the ACC sixth man of the year because they've had one of those for the last four straight years. Um, and so I, I think that, uh, you know, they'll always have size and they're always going to defend as well. So I, I think Florida state's going to be right there because they always are. But, um, and then at Miami, you've got Isaiah Wong, <laughs> which is a great place to start. Uh, I, I think all three of those teams will be factors, but if I had to say in order, I would say um, I would I would put my money on Virginia, Florida State, and then Miami. Brett, uh, we've heard these rumblings all summer long about conference shifting again, and and you know when when UCLA mm -hmm. and USC bolted the Pac-12 for the Big Ten, uh, then all of a sudden things started getting crazy in the rumor mill, like <laughs> North Carolina maybe leaving for the SEC and not playing Duke anymore. Do you foresee any changes in the ACC's lineup, or do you think all of that was like a little premature uh, craziness? If you would have asked me in August, I would have said, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of worries uh, in, in that regard, because at that point I would have suspected that there were lawyers from at least four different schools looking at ways to get around or out of the grant of rights. Now that the uh, college football playoff is expanding to 12 teams and including uh, it, or automatic bids for conference champions, um, I would say the chances have, have, have gone way down now. I, I, I'm, I am very confident that the ACC will stay the ACC as we know it for the foreseeable future. Because let's, let's face it, football drives this bus. And if you've got a, a, a guaranteed bid, Clemson's not going anywhere because 
it, it's going to be a whole lot easier to get in that playoff by winning the ACC than going to the SEC and having to deal with all those other teams. Because, you know, a, a super conference with all those brand names, somebody's got to lose. Right. And so, you know, I mean, it, it, it just makes sense that Florida State, UNC, all those teams are going to stay in the ACC because their path to the college football playoff is much, much easier than if they were in the Big Ten or, or the SEC. And that trickles over to basketball now because – it, you know, everybody's going to stay where they're at. Brett Friedlander is, is our guest. And, uh, you know, we're, we're about a year into the NIL stuff and the transfer portals become you know, so prominent as you've described a little bit too. If you step back and look at it, what do you feel like the biggest impacts, especially of NIL uh, have been so far? Well, NIL is, is huge because Armando Baycott would not be back at, and, and probably Caleb Love and sure. definitely Isaiah Wong. And, you know, th- there are a lot of guys that are in the ACC right now that would not be in the ACC. They either be in the G League or playing overseas because they, they, they yeah. wanted to get in the draft. And, you know, they realize they can make just as much, if not more money coming back because of NIL than they would in the G League. So I think that's been huge. And it's going to be huge in the fact that, you know, last year the, the, the prevailing narrative was that the ACC ACC was was trash. N- never mind that they had three teams in the in the final eight, and two in the final four, but <laughs> whatever. But but whatever. the point is that this year you're going to have an extremely experienced ACC. You're going to have all ACC first team all ACC players back, and so that in itself is going to is going to make the teams better, which is going to make the ACC better, and and I think is going to help the reputation. So NIL has definitely helped in that regard. But there is still they need to come up with some sort of uniform guideline on on how that works, because right now it's it's kind of the Wild West and it's every man for himself. So I think it's good, but it definitely still needs to be tweaked. Right on that. We'll let you roll. Thank you so much for the time. Always appreciate uh, spending a few minutes with you and uh, catch up with you down the road. Enjoy the season, man. Hey, thanks a lot. And you do, too. Thanks, buddy. Hey, anytime. That was Mr. ACC, Brett Friedlander, a Blue Ribbon contributor, uh, writes many of the stories that you read, the previews uh, about ACC squads, including top-ranked North Carolina, you can see in the brand-new Blue Ribbon College basketball yearbook. Chris, he really knows his stuff when it comes to that conference, doesn't he? He does. Uh, his brother, Andy, used to write for Blue Ribbon and before he got out of the business. and uh, His parting gift to me was, he said, you should have my brother writing for you. He's Mr. ACC. So that that was the first uh, time I'd heard him addressed as that. And I said, I'm sold. So <laughs> I don't know. That was 15 years ago, maybe. And Brett's been with us ever since. And uh, to say he's a key contributor would be a gross misunderstanding. I mean, he, he would be offended if I just referred to him as a key contributor. <laughs> couple other uh, news stories, uh, one that I thought was really strange. Why would Manhattan fire coach yeah. Steve Masiello two weeks before the season starts? Uh, associate head coach Rayshon Stores will serve in the interim. Uh, it would have been Masiello's 12th season with the Jaspers. They went to the tournament back in 2014 and 2015. They've not been above 500 since then. Uh, I saw some of the administration saying that, well, we want to get a jump start on getting a new coach and moving forward. He was getting to the end of his contract. The MAC preseason player of the year, Jose Perez, says he plans to enter the transfer portal that he doesn't want to play if, if Masiello's not there. But that whole thing seems really strange. It makes me wonder if there's more to the story than what we're hearing. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard that uh, Masiello and the athletic director, Marianne Riley, maybe were at odds. But she had a quote that says, with the recruiting season beginning soon, 
I wonder if she, is she referring to the November signing period? If she is, that's insane because nobody's going to sign there now. And she talks about recruiting. Well, recruiting has developed over months and years of building relationships. She's burned that program to the ground. And they were picked to finish second in, in the Metro Atlantic. And, of course, Jose Perez was preseason player of the year. So she's burned that program to the ground. Uh, several people are jumping into the portal. I've heard Perez has already heard from Oregon, Memphis, Kansas State, West Virginia, Alabama, Wake Forest, Mississippi State. And the thing of it is, he could be eligible at, at mid-semester or at, mm. at the semester break. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I just don't get it. Uh, it's 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 counterproductive at, at, at least and uh, suicide at, at worst. On a happier note, a cool story about coal. Uh, a coal miner named Michael McGuire showed up Kentucky's blue-white scrimmage in Pikeville on Saturday, came straight from work. They were having a scrimmage there as a fundraiser for flooding victims in that part of the Commonwealth. But uh, Michael McGuire showed up still in his miner's clothes and his boots. He was covered in soot. Uh, but he said he wanted to be there to watch a game with their three-year-old son, Easton. John Calipari, the Kentucky coach, saw it. He called uh, McGuire's wife, Molly, on Monday and offered them tickets and a VIP experience for a game at Rupp Arena. That was such a cool story. And you see the picture of the guy. I mean, you can tell he came straight from the coal mine to be yeah. there for the game. And uh, I, I just thought that whole thing was pretty neat. I did, too. And, and you know, the, the reason that he did, he wanted to do it for his son. And there was no way to get a shower. They, they say he's a, he has red hair, but his, his beard was coal black. Uh, and he didn't want to let his little boy down. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I got a little choked up over that, mm-hmm. you know, because of fathers and their sons uh, enjoying the game of basketball, especially in, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. But it's cool. Uh, in addition to Coach Cal, several businesses uh, have gotten on board, and, you know, they're going to get him a hotel room, the family, and restaurants have chipped in, and cars and companies have said, we're, you know, we're going to give him a, a cool ride to, to pool around in. And I just think it's great. I, I think it's great. And it's, you know, once again, I, I think the power of sports, uh, I, I think sports has, has outshined society as a whole in, in showing us how we can get along yeah. and, and, and work together. It shows us that every day. And to see this, uh, I mean, it's just incredible. And turns out Cal's grandfather uh, worked the mines in, in West Virginia. And, you know, for anybody that's ever known a, a person who's worked in the mines, that's tough, tough business. And every day you go down there, you don't know if you're going to come back. Yeah. And, you know, so many of them have suffered from black lung. And, and it, you know, it's it's a tough profession, one of the most dangerous in the world. And, you know, just to see uh, – Mr. McGuire and his son, uh, that's, they say a picture speaks a thousand words. Well, that spoke a lot more than a thousand to me. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, that, that was really neat to see. Uh, as we finish our show, Chris, we always like to bring our spoiler-filled Andor update or you know whatever the most recent Star Wars series that's out. And then right now it's Andor, yeah. uh, named after the – People t- expect it. Yeah, people us. expect it. I mean, they stay all the way to the end of this podcast just to hear this. Uh, the yes. title character, of course, Cassian Andor, he led a, a, a ragtag crew – 
uh, Cassian slash Clem. They they stole the ship and the money on in the previous episode. That I've not seen the one that dropped today, but uh, they outmaneuvered some Tie fighters. Cassian gunned down a potential traitor. So now what? I guess is the uh, the next question for uh, the crew of yeah. Andor. Oh, I, episode seven showed us a little bit of that. Uh, he left his planet Ferrix, where he was sort of persona non grata after that <laughs> robbery, because the the Empire uh, shut down that place. Boy, they they were like, uh, if they catch you jaywalking, they're going to run you in. And so uh, Cassian takes off to what he thought was a, I don't know, uh, like a vacation planet, and he gets caught looking at a, a Imperial stormtrooper the wrong way, and uh, they've got him in the joint. So. Uh, six-year term we'll see how our boy gets out of that but you know it's all leading into rogue one which i said it before i'll say it again one of my favorite star wars spinoff movies uh no question about it and this show has been sort of a slow burn uh but i think most people think it's the best of the star wars television shows uh simply what's cool about it it's the showrunner is is a non-star wars fan Whereas the showrunners of the other shows were like, you know, grew up and worship at the idol of, of George Lucas. Uh, not so here. And it's bringing sort of a different perspective to the series. And I've enjoyed it. I, as soon as we finish the show, I think I'm going to watch episode eight. There you go. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, man, hopefully uh, Cassian will be uh, out of jail by the time we do our next episode of the podcast. Yeah. Chris, yeah, uh, he'll, he'll find a way. Yeah, he'll find a way. I, I'm with you on that. Well, the uh, season isn't too far away, less than two weeks out, so looking forward to it. Always a lot of fun, Chris. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks, buddy. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast.